Welcome to the Surratt Brothers Podcast, a conversation about church, sports, current events, and, well, mostly church. Today, we go to England, France, and Russia to talk about pate, space travel, and character assassination in the church. Now, join me and my brother Chris for today's podcast. Yeah, welcome to the podcast, Surratt Brothers Podcast. I'm glad you are with us. Um, I am Jeff Surratt. I don't know why I always throw my last name in. That, that's probably a given. I am Jeff, last name, same as podcast, and I'm here with my brother, Chris. Same last name as podcast as well. Same last name as each other. Hey, I just thought of something right when we started. Did, did you think to invite Greg this this week? Oh, man. I thought you, again, I thought you were doing it. Oops. Oh, no, I intentionally didn't invite him. I just thought okay. if you had, he might show up and gosh, that would be embarrassing. Yeah. So for those of you who listen just to hear our much older, much more famous brother, Greg, you might as well, you know, pop back to uh, episode four. He's, he's all over it. Like we Here, couldn't. On that note, you said more famous. Now here's mm-hmm. my question. He tends to take credit for the books that you and I actually wrote. Right. So is that making him more famous because of the work we put in? I don't think so. I think it's just making him seem smarter than he really is. Like, okay. I think he, he's already real, pretty well known. And all the people listening who've never heard of him are like, who? Hey, I'm with you. But he is well known. So, hey, what's up in your world, Chris? What's going on? Well, uh, since the last time we talked, I have I, I have not moved off the island of Maui, so I live here still. By the way, so I was talking to a friend who's listening to the podcast. They said, did you know your brother mentions Maui every time? I said, yeah, I kind of noticed that. Well, you know, when it's 76 degrees and sunny every day, you tend to you tend to want to tell people about that. But one thing that I've gotten, you ever go down these rabbit holes of just something just random and you can't get out of it. Like you just, you hear a song or you see a clip of a movie. And so you start studying the actor and then you get into like where they grew up and you ever do that. I'm sure you do. I'm, I'm guessing oh, I do it all the time. I'll click on the movie and then I'll click on cast and then I'll click on a cast member. And before I know it, I'm five degrees from Kevin Bacon. Like I'm right. so far down the rabbit hole. Right. So I'm doing this right now. I was sitting in an airport and a Peter Cetera song came on from the, from the eighties. And so I just started thinking Can I ask about Peter, C- Peter Cetera solo or Peter Cetera, Chicago. This was solo. That's where it started. Solo, okay. okay. So it hit my head. Like, where is Peter Cetera? You know, I know he's still alive. haven't heard from him. So I start going into that and that led me to Chicago, the band that he was in, which I was a big fan of. Saw them mm-hmm. a few years ago in concert. So that led me into, oh, well, who's still in the band? Like, you know, because they've changed members. So that led me to watching Chicago documentaries. So I watched <laughs> on President's Day, I watched back to back documentaries on the band Chicago. Uh, one was from like 2016 or 17 or something like that. And then they did a follow up at the, pandemic because they were like one of the last bands to have a concert in Vegas before it all shut down and it follows them through the pan. I don't know. I'm so I'm in this Chicago uh, rabbit hole that I can't really seem to get out of. So I, I watch music movies and documentaries nonstop. You have musical talent. I have none, but I just, I'm a wannabe so bad. 
I thought I didn't see the second one. I didn't know they'd made one. I thought the first one in the world of 70s band documentaries, I thought it was okay. I didn't, hmm. I mean, I love Chicago. I thought it was fascinating, but I didn't, I didn't think it was great. Like, what did you think? Well, I, I liked it, but just seeing the history, because I, I wasn't really alive enough to know them in the 70s. And I kind of became a fan when uh, Chicago, like Chicago 14, 15, 16, I guess 15 was the greatest hits album, but 16, 17, that was Peter Cetera era, David Foster. So it was fascinating to me to learn about the 70s stuff and Terry Kath and all of that. But it was disappointing. Like Peter Cetera didn't participate. Their original manager didn't participate. A bunch of people didn't participate, but it was still the second one's the same guy that made the first one. It was almost like, okay, it's been seven years. Here's where they are now. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. You know, that's my goal in life. I want to be a super band that is so big. It puts out two best of two greatest hits albums. The right. Eagles did Chicago did. I don't know who else has. Um, I think <laughs> oh, we got to bring up Taylor Swift. We do every week. Uh, Taylor Swift, <laughs> I think is so big that every album is now is a, is a greatest hits album. Well, when, when you have, when you have, every song's have a hit. Yeah. yeah. How many number ones did she have simultaneously a few months ago is like more than 10. It was so, a bunch. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's a greatest hits album. Yeah. So what's going hey, on with you? You know, we talked, we talked last week, but before that, uh, Sherry and I, as you know, we were involved in a project and it gives us a chance to go over to England uh, once or twice a year. And so we went, we were over in England a couple of weeks ago and a couple of things about that. One if you haven't been to Europe, I don't think you've been. Have you been to Europe? I have not. Maybe? I've landed an airplane and stayed in an airplane, yeah. but no. Yeah. You got to go to Europe. Like you got to go to Europe. You got to go to England. It, it's not that expensive. People are like, oh, I can't afford that. You can. It's like four Starbucks. No, it's more than that, but <laughs> yeah. it, it's affordable. But don't go in February. Like February mm. is like, it was cold and overcast and rainy and all the things you'd expect. But we really had a great time. And, and I'll talk in a minute why we were over there. But we also, because if you haven't been to Europe, like everything is super close. Like like when you're in when you're in Nashville and where you live when you're not vacationing in Maui. So when you're at home, at your real house in Nashville and you drive to Atlanta, well, that's like going from London to Rome. Like it's crazy how close everything is. And so while we were over, we went over to Paris and spent a couple of nights and that was just a lot of fun. We really enjoyed it. We've been to Paris several times. I'm saying all this to show what a great, amazing, impressive person I am. Yes. But while there, I tried pate first time. Do you know pate? What? No, I don't. Pate is goose liver. You've heard of pate. Oh, good. No, I haven't. You have to. I don't, if you, I don't eat at you, those kind of restaurants. No, but you love watching fine dining and, and reading fine dining stuff. And yeah, don't yeah, you? But no. Yeah, you know what pate is. So anyway, goose liver. So I thought, uh, this is going to be disgusting. And hey, you know what? When I brought it out, it was disgusting. <laughs> but key to life. And this is the point. If I had a point to this story, I put it on some bread, spread it on some bread, put a little bit of chutney on it fantastic key to life anything can make a sandwich like if you put anything on bread it can be really good so here's another tidbit for you if you had that okay. same thing and you added chick-fil-a sauce mm, yeah it's that's true. a whole nother level anything that's true. 
that you wrap in a tortilla or put on bread and you add Chick-fil-A mm-hmm. sauce becomes automatically amazing. This is really good. This is helpful. If people want to get to know the Surratt brothers, I'm eating pate at a cafe at a, a beautiful restaurant in Paris and you're spreading Chick-fil-A sauce on your tortilla. <laughs> it's liquid. As they said in the Beverly Hillbillies, it's liquid gold. That you are so Beverly Hillbillies. There's a place here in Maui um, that is Joey's Kitchen, and they were on uh, Guy Fieri's uh, Triple D show. I'm sure you're familiar yeah. with it. But their specialty is uh, pig's feet, fried pig's feet. Mm. I have not tried it, but would you try that? Would you eat huh. fried pig's feet? Oh, in a heartbeat. One of the specialties in France is uh, frog legs. And I didn't have any, but I wouldn't. I would. And I've uh, had frog legs. Are they good? Yeah, they're, they're like, not, it's like, like chicken. Yeah, but not as much meat on them. Yeah. We had them on a cruise. It was good. Yeah. You know what else they, they eat a lot in France, which I was going to try, but I think Sherry would have bread. Would have got up and left the table is uh, escargot snails. Mm, no, wouldn't do but, it. Yeah. Hey, the reason we were over there, I want to do this on another, on another podcast. I don't really talk to you about it, but we go over some for this cohort and we've been involved in one way or another with gathering churches in the UK and in Western Europe um, around some topics. And and we gather anywhere from, uh, I don't know, 40 or 50 up to 90 of the larger churches in the UK. So we're starting a new phase, a new, a new thing in this called partnering for purpose. And it's a cool project. I want to, I'll get one of the guys that leads it over there. He'll, we'll do an interview with him on the podcast. But I think it would be fascinating because all you hear from the UK, all you hear from Western Europe is the church is dead. There's no life over there. There's no big churches. And yeah, it's a very post-Christian, post-post-Christian culture. And yet it is just incredible to connect with these pastors, these leaders that are seeing incredible life change. So yeah, we'll do that in upcoming. Would that be cool? I mean, I'd love to do that in an upcoming episode. Yeah, no, I would love to do that, but yeah. let me rewind just a little bit. So you said sure. at the beginning of this, this segment that it's not mm-hmm. that expensive to fly to Europe that you can mm-hmm. do it. And then you basically kind of drop the fact that you're not paying for your trips to Europe. That's there. exactly right. Yes. Okay. I have. just wanted to make I that have, clear. I have paid my own way to Europe. I have Except indeed. for me. Yeah. What do you mean except for you? Like, no, no, you. you. Want- no, everyone should pay to fly to Europe except for you. I told you, I just said I paid one time to fly my wife and myself to Europe. I thought you said, oh, except for me, as though you we're expecting me to pay for you to fly to Europe. And no, that's not going to happen. That's what I'm waiting on. Yes. You can keep waiting. Hey, I was, I was, <laughs> I get different newsletters. I don't know if you do. And they, they give, they, they have like a list of kind of quirky stuff going on in the world. And I hit one and I thought this could be, this could be a next job opportunity for you. Cause like you work for Harvest, you work in Maui, you live in Nashville, you do work for other organizations. Here's a new gig for you, Chris. They're mm-hmm. looking for people who will live for one year in NASA's Mars simulator. And I noticed the age cutoff is, I think, 54. And so you mm-hmm. fit in the, I'm too old. They won't let me go. So you fit in the age category. You could live for one year in NASA's Mars simulator, be a part of history, be a part of getting mankind to Mars. Are you up for it? 
Here's the thing. I looked at that. I did not get that newsletter. I do get a bunch of newsletters that I never read, but I did look at that. And it looks really not fun. And I, it, it, I started thinking, why are we going to Mars? I mean, what, what mm-hmm. is the point of torturing humankind, uh, just to, to send us to this unforgiving, horrible, horrible place that, that they're going to try to uh, torture somebody to see how they can survive. But I, I have this thing and I think you do too. I am pretty super claustrophobic. Mm-hmm. Um, I can freak out at just weird times, like on an airplane, if I start thinking too hard about the fact that I am in a tube flying mm-hmm. above things and I can't get out or just small spaces. So I can't even really imagine the hell that that would be to spend a year in this simulator and not be able to get out. I just, that blows my mind. What about so is that, that a hard no? That's, that's a hard, hard no. Okay. So related question, right? So I assume that you saw the Matt Damon Mars movie. Like, oh yeah. Yeah. Did you read the book? Uh, I've read parts of it. Yeah. Books better. Anyway. So you're stranded on Mars, which, how would you do like, okay, forget the claustrophobia. We got you there somehow. We drugged you, you fell asleep the whole way. So, but you're abandoned on Mars. Are you Matt Damon? Do you science the heck out of things and you grow potatoes and you drive the Rover for days? Or are you like a six-year-old lost at Disney world? You're just crying your eyes out. Hopeless. Six-year-old all the way. I I don't, I don't math. Um, and (laughs) (laughs) it seems like at least according to the movie, there's a lot of science and math that has to happen. That would not, not be me. It's funny watching the movie. I'm like, I'm Matt Damon. I'd science this. Like I know no math. I haven't had math since uh, my freshman year of high school. Um, I didn't take math. I have a fully accredited degree and I didn't take math in college. Like I am that bad at math. And yet I'm watching the movie thinking I could do this. And then as I thought back on it, like you said right now, I'd be a six year old at Disney world. I'd just be standing out there crying in my helmet. Like I would have lasted 20 minutes. I'm dead. It's over. Oh yeah. I would have pulled the helmet off in the first two minutes. Right. Right. Yeah. And be dead. Hey, this is, Hey, this is a big moment. I don't know if you know this, this is episode five of our podcast. Like wow. if you haven't listened to the first four, don't worry about it. We're moving forward. Like that's history. But if you want to go back and listen, they're pretty good. I listen, I've listened to all of them. In fact, which is good since we're making them. Here's some podcast trivia for you. Top of your head. Guess what percentage of all podcasts have less than three episodes. Percentage of all podcasts, less than three episodes. You're asking me to guess because I'm looking at your stats on the paper right now. If yeah. I was to guess without looking at them, you're, I would you're the say worst probably co-host ever. <laughs> I would say probably in the neighborhood of forty percent. Forty-four percent. You're the worst <sighs> co-host ever. You're supposed to pretend there are no notes. Like we're making all this up top of our head. Okay. 44 percent. So less than three podcasts. episodes. Forty four. Less than three episodes. This wow. is our fifth one. So we are in the top 56% of all podcasts because we made it to episode five. Here's what's even more exciting. So I've got a bunch of stats on, uh, you know, how many downloads and where you're at. Did you know that based on our last episode, we're in the top 25% of all podcasts in the world, Mm. the number of people that are listening in top 25% of all podcasts. The sponsors know that we are getting to that. So, yeah. We do. We have a sponsor. 
We do. We have a sponsor, which is exciting. We're really, really appreciative. Appreciative? <laughs> I'm new with the language. Appreciative, that's the word. We're really appreciative. We've connected with Intentional Reach. And um, I remember these guys that when we were at Seacoast, Intentional Reach was the company that uh, did transcripts for us. And super useful. We'd use these transcripts. So we'd put them on the web so people could download them. I don't know about you. I'm not a big, I don't really like watching a lot of the videos. I do like reading stuff. So when people give it to me as a, I have a choice. Can you, do you want to stop and watch a video or do you want to listen to it as you drive or do you want to read it? Always I'm always going to go read it. Yeah. And so transcript service. And so we used intentional reach. They're phenomenal. I mean, have you taken a look at some of their stuff? Yeah, I glanced at their their stuff. They reached out and uh, said they'd love to sponsor, which is really, really cool. So I spent some time looking at it. And they, they do amazing things. Here's one of the cool things is that they just they don't just download the audio and then do some AI on it and put it back, you know, because whenever I see transcripts, I've done this before. Uh, when I hosted a podcast before, we would do a transcript and natural talk just it just doesn't look good on a transcript it just doesn't it's just weird because you you know you go back and forth and you say things like you know well they go in and they dress it up and here's a good example as one of the examples they sent it was a message that you gave in 2017 at Seacoast I bet it was phenomenal and so I went and I found your original audio and I compared it to the transcript and it was actually a much, much better sermon with the transcript than it was with the audio. It was like, did this guy, was it the same guy? It was that kind of a moment. So, so I'm not saying, saying they could turn you into, uh, you know, uh, Spurgeon overnight, but hey, they do. So, help. You're, so you're saying intentional reach can make you a better preacher. I think so. And you know, the cool part is, is they don't just do uh, like sermons. They do podcasts, conferences, interviews, webinars, anything that's spoken, they will transcribe it. And yeah. yeah and what you get back, like I've, I've done it too. I've used some AI stuff to do some transcript. I've even, I think I've used a transcript service before. And what I got back was almost unreadable. Like it was one big paragraph. And every time I paused or said, uh, it was in there. Like it was a word for word transcription, which sounds great. And it's terrible, but what they do, they actually go in and edit it. In other words, like if you say Elisha and you meant Elijah, they'll look it up. Or if you say first Corinthians nine and you meant second Corinthians nine, they look up every Bible reference and make sure it's the right Bible reference. Now they don't do what they call heavy editing, where they'll go in and change the meaning. Like one example they give, if you say jacket, they're not going to, if you say, oh, I wore a jacket to the game last night, they're not going to change that to, oh yeah, I wore a hoodie to the game last night. Like they're not going to do that, but they, they fix the little, everyone does them, the little verbal mistakes and verbal things that we do as, as we go along. And, and, and I think Chris, one of the things that's cool, I think for, they have different ways that they'll, They'll interface with you and like you said, and you can use them for books or articles or on your website. You can sign up for like a monthly subscription. I think it's something like, uh, don't quote me on this, but it's something like $400 for a month and they'll do all your sermons. One of the things they'll do, which is really cool is, it, you know, you, you set up this service. They'll actually, when your sermon is posted to your church's website, they'll grab that, that, that video or audio that you post 
They'll do the transcript and then they'll even actually post that transcript back to the website if you want. And so it can be a total turnkey solution. So if you're looking for transcripts or if you want to kind of check it out, uh, Chris, where, where should they go to kind of find out more about intentional reach? Go to intentionalreach.com, intentionalreach.com, and then hit get your transcripts today. Yep. Yep. Hey, um, one more thing. Anyway, we're incredibly thankful for uh, Intentional Transcripts kind of reaching out to us, and, and we're excited about a, a partnership going forward. You yes. know, we were talking kind of lightly about current events and the Mars thing. One, one of the... Uh, one of the hardest things I've watched over the last week or so is Alexei Nalvani. Have you followed him at all? Do you know who I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah. He's a Russian um, uh, opposition leader that just yep. just was assassinated, basically. Yep. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if you haven't followed the story, we won't go all through it, obviously. But he was he's really the only public opposition to Putin and he's been poisoned. He's had dye thrown in his face. He was thrown in prison in Siberia. And this past week, um, he died. And pretty sure he was assassinated. Chris, have you, I think it's on Netflix. Have you seen the Nalvani, Nalvani, Nalvani movie? I haven't. I, um, I remember when it was on, this was kind of following when they poisoned him. And right. almost died, went to yeah. Europe, spent some time over there, and then, crazy enough, came back after being poisoned. But yeah, I didn't actually watch it, but I know the story. After he was assassinated, I actually sat down the other night and watched the movie. It was very, very moving to see. You see behind the scenes, uh, you meet his family, um, you hear pretty unguarded conversations from him. And, 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 and it's fascinating, the story they follow for the poisoning. He actually, uh, through, so, through an investigative journalist, figured out who poisoned him and actually contacted the poisoners and talked to them on wow. the phone. Do you, do you think, Chris, and, and we're going to connect this back to which is our main topic, which is church. <laughs> There's a reason to stick with us to see how I can make that transition. Trust me. So... You mentioned something about as you've read, you, you you were kind of impressed by his Christian beliefs. Yeah, I didn't I didn't know about that honestly until an article a couple of days ago. I was in Christianity Today, I think, and they um, they transcribed one of his uh, when he was testifying in 2021, I think, and he was talking about how um, he used to be an atheist, which a lot of the people in his movement and and, and in Russia in general are atheists, even though the the Orthodox Church is kind of a big deal over there, but in general, they're mostly atheists. And he went from an atheist to a believer and how that has driven a lot of what he has done, in, especially in the last couple of years. He said, in fact, going to the Sermon on the Mount, I think it was the, the verse on those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. And he saw that verse as a command for him to go back to Russia, mm. uh, that he saw it as as righteousness and pursuing righteousness. And so, yeah, I didn't, I did not know about that part of his uh, story, the strong Christian faith. But if you look at his, the way he just, you know, if you, if you see some of his speeches and the way he acted and all that, you can definitely see that coming through. Um, and I think it was probably not widely publicized for a reason, but um, yeah, really impressed with yeah. that. 
Yeah. So seeing this assassination, knowing, you know, his, his faith, he's Rus- Russian Orthodox. Um, and, and just seeing what happened and, and knowing that it was likely a, an intentional assassination. I, I got to thinking about that. And while we tend not to shoot pastors in America, we do assassinate them. Like I have over the last, especially the last five years, I've just seen public assassinations of pastors who have done things, sometimes things that are just indefensible pastors who have done things that we disagree with pastors who have different views politically, but, but just like character assassinations on, on, on social media, even from pulpits of, of fellow Christians and, and fellow pastors. So I I just wanted to talk about that for just a minute. And uh, what really got me to thinking about this was this past week, I work for a church here in Colorado. I did love my local church. Um, in addition to doing, you know, the thing I talked about in England and coaching around the country, doing some of that, but I work for a local church, uh, as an executive pastor. And we had, uh, we had a, a pastor come speak to us, uh, this week. He spoke on Sunday and then he stayed over and spoke to our staff. And he actually, our pastor had worked on this pastor's staff years ago. And in the meantime, between when our pastor left his staff and, when he came here, his, his life just got turned upside down. This is a man who's been in ministry for many, many years, 40, 50 years. He uh, faithfully served at one church for most of his entire ministry. That church grew very, very large. And then he took a role in a, um, in a national denomination. And in that role, that, that, that the denomination, the denomination uh, under, under, uh, just was hit with tons of accusations, tons of turmoil went on. I mean, it was a nasty, nasty time. And during that time, this, this particular leader made decisions that like, I don't know that I agree with them. And I think some of them were kind of unwise, but I I watched him like being assassinated. So I just want to talk about that a little bit. Chris, you and I talked about the leader, who it is, you know who it is. I don't want to bring up his name because I don't want to make it about was he right or wrong. I want to make it more about how do we respond when there is a high profile leader and he is in a situation where we don't agree with what he's doing. I'm not talking necessarily about, uh, you know, open, obvious sin, although we can talk about that too. But but it's a leader who who we don't agree with what he's doing, what he said, decisions that he's made. And how we handle that. You you have perspective on this. Like I, I we've mentioned before that you worked for quite a while for Lifeway and you were there in some of the controversy that that surrounded some people at Lifeway. Like what's your perspective on some of this? Yeah, it's an interesting perspective because yes, I did work for an SBC entity and we were the publishing house for that. And so a lot of the um the preachers, pastors that would be controversial, 
even the one you're probably talking about, we would publish. And so we would end up spending some time with, with them. They would come into Lifeway. We would sit down with them and really one of the first things was hear their heart. And why are you writing this book or this Bible study? And what does this mean to you? And um, I can think of two or three right off the top of my head that either ended up um, doing something that disqualified them later in ministry or even the person you're talking about that didn't disqualify themselves, but basically was uh, disqualified by uh, opinion. I guess you could put it that way. And for the most part, all of them uh, were, from our standpoint, uh, amazing men and women. We, we published both. And, and so we would get to know them in that way. And then sometimes you'd find out the conduct later. And I'll use a name because it's, you know, it's out there and actually he has passed on is Ravi Zacharias. Um, he was probably the number one selling author for Lifeway at one point. In fact, I know he was. And so we got to know Ravi. We got to know his organization. I actually, in the podcast I hosted before this, we had uh, some of his guys on and, and, uh, and I was a complete believer and loved what he was doing, loved him, his heart, everything. And then it turns out later he was doing some really, really bad stuff. Right. I mean, so in that, in that context, I think their character, their public character didn't line up with their conduct and it got proven. I mean, it was proven without a shadow of a doubt that Ravi was a really bad guy when it came to his conduct. And I won't go into it. You can Google his name, but then you take the guy that you're talking about and you look at it and I've spent some time with them just peripheral. I don't really know him. And I think of his character as really, really high. And I don't know that I would go that his conduct was enough to assassinate his, uh, his position. But when does one inform the other? So right. were we, right. were we, uh, were we not, were we not good to really dig in more into Ravi Zacharias? And even though we felt like his character was good, should we have gone farther? And I don't know. I mean, a lot of people, you know, got bluffed by that one, but then the guy you're talking about probably doesn't have a chance to come back from what he did. And I would put it nowhere in the same league as what Ravi did. So yeah, that's a tough, tough question. Yeah. And I think I love the way you talked about the conduct versus character part. I think, I guess my question I'm wrestling, I'm wrestling with, and I don't know that we have an answer, but um, do we, when we see conduct that we disagree with or is obviously wrong, are we okay to also attack the character of that person? And then the flip side of that is when we see true success, we see what looks like, you know, a very holy person. Um, do we just accept, oh, they must also have a good character. And I don't, I, it's hard, you know, a time when I, I dealt with this a little bit, very close up, not, I was going to say personally, but it's not me, but very close up. As you know, I work for Saddleback Church for, for a brief amount of time. And during that time, I answered directly to, to Rick Warren. And so I got to know Rick fairly well. I went to his house, ate, ate with him. You know, we, we didn't just go golfing every Friday, but, but we, we, we got to know each other and I really got to see Rick's character while I worked for him. And I saw how he treated people. I saw how he treated his staff. I saw how he treated his wife and his kids. And, um, like I would just say from my perspective, 
Rick's character is, is above reproach. Like he, I've sat in his living room with him when he could have, you know, said and done all kinds of things. I've, I've gone on trips with him, you know, things like that. And his character is, is, is above reproach. While I was there, it was kind of comical to me. I don't know if you remember when there was a big thing going around that <clears throat> Saddleback was supporting Krizlom. Do you remember that? Mm-hmm. Where Rick Warren was the leader who was going to marry uh, Christianity and, and Islam. And they called it Krizlom. And they said, <laughs> they said he's torn down the cross at Saddleback. He's replaced the pews or he's replaced the um, Bibles in the pews at Saddleback with the Quran. And they had one other thing that he had done. And so I, this was back in the days of blogs. So I wrote a post that said, well, here's the deal. First of all, Rick has not torn down the cross at Saddleback. Like it or don't like it, there is no cross at Saddleback. There's never been a cross at Saddleback. So there was nothing for him to tear down. Secondly, replacing the pews in the Bible or the Bibles in the pews. Saddleback doesn't have pews, never had pews. And with that, they also have no Bibles in the back of the pews. So you cannot, you can dislike that there's not a cross or that there's not Bibles, but it's not that. And people just came after him, came after his character. Fast forward, if you follow the SBC, there was a ton of uproar over Saddleback and ordaining female pastors and Saddleback was removed from the SBC and, and Rick, you know, had always been an SBC pastor. Here, here's my point in all of that. I think disagreeing with Rick, I think saying Rick is creating Chrislam is just silliness. It's just, it's mm-hmm. just goofiness to disagree with Rick about his theological stance on women preaching, women being pastors and disagreeing with uh, Saddleback um, ordaining women pastors, that's a theological discussion. That's a, for lack of another word, it's conduct discussion. It's something that Rick believes, something that Rick did. And I think it's fair game to disagree with that. I think it's fair game to have a public forum on that. But people then, if you watched it on Twitter, I'm sure you did, Chris, people Mm -hmm. then attacked Rick's character. They Mm -hmm. attacked his Christianity. They attacked him as a person. That's where I just get I just, it really, it really irritates me when we impugn motive, when we say, oh, because I disagree with their stance or something they did. And again, I'm not talking about, like you gave a great example with Ravi Zacharias, what was discovered there. No one's defending that. And I'm not trying to, I'm talking about when it's conduct, we disagree with the the person I said that was at our church last weekend, he made decisions and some people, many people. I think you included Chris disagreed with his decisions and the way he made those decisions. But at no point did I ever see you come after him as a person or say he's not a Christian or attack him as a pastor, but to say, I, I don't, I don't think I endorse the way that was done or what was done. Does does that make sense? Yeah. Don't you think that's been the, uh, and maybe it's always been this way and it's just amplified by social media, um, in general, but, the, the level of discourse that's happening in society right now, uh, not just in churches, religious things, but also in political things, but we jump automatically to our own conclusions. And I think a lot of it is just driven by uh, clicks for one. I mean, if you come out and say, 
so-and-so, uh, let's say Rick Warren is a Muslim. Well, you're going to get a lot more clicks than if you say, I disagree with some of Rick's theology and here's my biblical backing on why I think it's wrong for women preachers. But if you jumped right to he's putting in the Quran, then you're going to get a lot of eyeballs on it, which a lot of websites have built their, uh, their kingdoms on right now. But it's in political discourse as well. It just seems like, and, and this is one of those old guys get off my lawn moments, but <laughs> it seems like the, we used to be able to sit down and discuss, you know, some of these differences, but find where we are, we're aligned and come out more that direction than just, you know, going to these fantastical endings that aren't even there just so we could get attention. And then there's this, this anger. I mean, mm. when I just, when I open Twitter, and I refuse to call it X, but when I open Twitter, it's just anger. And that's mm. what I feel like. Um, just that runs our society now. Yeah. And I, th- I agree. I agree. And it's, it's sad on so many levels. I don't think it is Christ-like. Um, I don't think it's Christ-like to agree with sin. I don't think it's a Christ, Christ-like to endorse immorality. I also don't think it's Christ-like to attack people's character and to not be willing to sit down and have discussions. And, and in the end of the discussion, we still disagree. I, some of my richest conversations are when I get an opportunity to sit with someone who politically, spiritually, philosophically is very different than me. And then we have we have a conversation. And at the end of it, neither one of us is convinced. But you know what's different? What's different when I have those conversations is I now know that person as a person. Yep. I now see them as a human, as an individual. They're no longer a stance. They're no longer a political view. They're a person. And I think actually knowing people. And and, and again, we, we kid around about dropping names, but both of us have just for whatever reason, I've had the opportunity to get to know people that have a pretty high profile. And I have found most of the time they are in the, in, in the church world, most of the time they are Christ followers who are trying to do the right thing, who are pursuing Jesus, who maybe I don't agree with a lot of it. I was having lunch today, Chris, and, and this may be by my teaching moments. <laughs> I was having lunch today with a friend and he's a pastor and great pastor. I've known him for a decade and I've, visit his church and, and, and just, he's a very, very good guy, but he's right this minute. He's just being eviscerated by people in his church and they're saying things about their leadership and the structure and him. And it's a very, very small group. It's not a church split. It's just this small group at the same time. The church is growing extremely fast, but there's this group of disgruntled and, and it's, it's crushing him. You can see it. And he's been, you know, as a pastor, he's been trying to pastor these people. He's trying to explain himself. He's trying to say, Hey, you know, this, this, what you see, just that's not what it is. And, and, and it's just draining him. And I gave him a couple of pieces of advice. I don't know if this is good or bad. I'll run this past you and our listeners and see if you agree. I said, here's a couple of phrases that you probably need to work on. One is you may be right. When people say, Hey, this church just doesn't train leaders the way it should. You may be right. This is such a top-down organization. I, I I can't even be a part of this. You know what? You may be right. And not in a smart aleck way, not in a jerk way, but just to acknowledge you have a different opinion. That opinion may be right. And we could argue all day long, but I'm not going to change your opinion. You're not going to change mine. 
but I'm willing to acknowledge you may be right. And I so said the other phrase is, and this may not be the church for you. And that's okay. In America, you'd be hard pressed. Even, even on Maui, where there are, I would imagine, quite a bit fewer churches that you would find in most states, would be my guess. Mm-hmm. There are still a lot of great churches, a lot of great churches. And so, you know what? You may be right. I may not be the pastor for you. This may not be the culture that you love. And that's okay. This may not be the church for you. Now, the other side, <laughs> do you remember Herb Kelleher who founded Southwest Airlines? Yep. Yep. So he he had, he wrote a deal one time. He said he got an email from a customer and the customer said, um, the, the email said, this is back when Southwest used to be funny. And they said that the the flight attendant, when they were giving the safety talk, made a bunch of jokes during the safety talk. And this person said, I am a safety operations person. I didn't find it funny. I found it dangerous. I was angry and I will never fly Southwest Airlines again. And Herb Kelleher wrote back to him and said, we will miss you. <laughs> I think I think sometimes in life we need to we need to love people, care for people. I think sometimes we just need to go, you know what? We'll miss you. Hey, Jeff, you're an egomaniac and a jerk and you treat people terribly. And well, I want to listen to that. I want to bounce it off of friends. I want to find out if it's true. But at the end of the day, you know what? You may be right, but you know, I'll miss you. What do you think? Yeah, no, I agree. I had a, a conversation a couple of weeks ago with somebody who um who came into my office and basically spent about 30 minutes telling me everything that's wrong with the church and uh, talking about how there are other churches on the island that do it right and we do it wrong. And and I listened to her. It's one of my things. I, I learned that a long time ago. Just listen. Just listen. Most people just want to be listened to. And once they 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 vomit out their their stuff then it's you can have a good conversation so i just listened and then i came to the end of it and i said it sounds like those other churches is where you should go uh, it sounds like they you know and it just made her even more mad oh, because boy. that isn't what she wanted to hear she wanted to hear me say okay we will change things so it makes you happy and these it's always uh, it's never just her. It's never just that person. It's always, they were saying, you know, they, there's always the proverbial they. And I said, this may be a great church for they as well for them. And, uh, but that's not what she wanted. And so it's, but you're right. I think, um, at some point we have to quit just trying to defend things and say, we are not the Chick-fil-A sauce for you. There yeah. is another church. I remember, I can't remember the name of the church, but there was a church that actually one Sunday put out brochures for a bunch of churches in their uh, community and put them out in the lobby and said, Hey, if you don't like the way we do it, that's okay. We get that. We've actually put out some brochures for other churches that we would love for you to check out. And I just I love that attitude, that kingdom, you know, we're all one kingdom. We don't fit everybody, everybody, and we shouldn't. Yeah, I think that's, and, and you know, you and I have been around uh, environments, perhaps one that we grew up in, where it was very popular to tell people to leave. That's not what we're talking no, about. No, 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 no. We're talking about if it's very obvious that they, their desires, their expectations or whatever don't match the culture of the church they're at, then let's encourage them. I talk to, I get the opportunity a lot to talk to staff members, uh, church I work at, but other churches 
And, and one of the conversations I have often, they'll be very disgruntled and they don't like this about the culture and they don't like that about the culture and the other thing about the culture. And the conversation I have with them sometimes is the culture, the, the culture is the culture. And so there's a couple of things that might happen. One is you might be able to influence the culture to change it. Now, if you're in a position to, ch- to help change a culture, that's great. Most of us are not. Most of us are not in roles. At, I'm talking to people on staff at church particularly. We can influence, but we're probably not going to change the culture. So one is you can try to change the culture. And that honestly probably will lead to a lot of frustration. Two, you can change to match the culture. That's possible. Like you may go, you know what? I I want to become more like this culture. That's possible. But it also could lead to a lot of frustration and lead you to be somebody that you're just not. Or you can find a culture that fits better. And many times when I have that conversation with staff members, they sit down and they go, you know what? You're right. I Life's too short to just be frustrated with the culture or try to fit into a culture I don't fit into. And I think I think it's it's rather than to go back to our point, right? Rather than character assassination and saying, this pastor is a bad person. This, this leader is a bad leader and he's a, he, he's a jerk because of it and all that. that. That all may be true. But if I dis, if, if I don't like the conduct, I, I don't like the attitude. I don't like the way it's done. Maybe that's God's way of saying, hey, why don't we move on? Why don't we go to something else rather than assassinate character? <laughs> I don't think this is a bold statement at all. Jesus is never on the side of assassinating character. He called people's conduct into question a lot, especially people in the church. But I don't remember him assassinating character at all. No, I, I, I think that's good. I love the, the, the culture piece of it. I'm taking my staff here through a book and we just did a chapter, whole chapter on culture. And to create culture, it takes common language and it takes common action and um, you're right. You don't change culture overnight. And if you try to fight culture, it's going to kill you. It's yeah. We create culture together through time, common language, and actions. Wow. Hey, what book are you taking them through? Empowering Leadership. I was going to say, I see it right behind you. We're watching each other on video, though. You can't see through your device to see us. But yeah. Yeah, it's a Fun. really good book. He's not a sponsor, so I won't sit. No, Michael Fletcher yeah. wrote yeah, Michael's a good Fletcher or good Fletcher. Michael's a good friend of both of ours. And I think personally, I, I, I don't know how many times I've recommended that book. I think that's the best book on church culture and leadership, leadership development. So it's called agree. empowering leadership, mm-hmm. Michael Fletcher. You know, I had something else I wanted to talk about, but I just realized we have droned on for long enough for our, for our vastly expanding 20 bigger than what 75% of all podcasts in the world, all podcasts in the world, which by the way, to go back to that stat, what that means is most podcasts have two listeners. Like we have more than two. So we're way up that chain. Here's another thing you told me before I wrote my first book and I found this to be true. If you look at those Amazon, if you're a writer and you're an author and you look at those Amazon number one, new release, 
you know, all, all that good stuff in certain categories. Here's the truth behind that. Some of them are like if a major writer writes something big, um, obviously they're selling thousands, thousands of copies for most authors that are like you and I, uh, if you sold, I think it's like 10 copies in the first couple of days, you can be the number one release of whatever category you're in because millions of books are on Amazon that don't sell any copies. Yeah. Any copies. Yeah. So yeah. there's a so, little secret. Yeah. So those of you who have stuck with us all the way through the podcast, when I was talking about how many listeners that we have, we're, a, we're an intimate group and we're very thankful for growing quickly. You. Yes. Growing. We are growing quickly. Um, hey, I want to thank intentional reach. Um, and digital, uh, digitalreach.com. Reach out to them and get some transcripts. Uh, each week we try to bring you a crazy headline of the week. This week's crazy headline, a 100-year-old diver performed a dive at the 2024 World Championships. Chris, what do you plan to be doing when you're 100 years old? I'm planning to be dead. I'm planning to be hanging out with Jesus by the time I'm a hundred. So yep, I, I might don't be, be drooling. <laughs> I might be diving, but I'll be diving in glory land. All right. Hey, thank you all for listening. Remember, uh, please follow us so that you can see each nep- each uh, episode. We have uh, about one episode drop a week. Um, like comment, share that really helps us get the word out to some other people. We would love to hear from you as well. So, Hey, thanks for being with us. Thanks, Chris. See you next week. See you then.